So it's all of these added pieces to this one little scenario that's so rooted in gender norms and more of a patriarchal setup, frankly. So I think when we put so much pressure on ourselves to be everything, all the time, every day, that's impossible. That's not going to make anybody feel good, and it's going to lead to burnout. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the 52 Weeks of Me podcast. I'm Jacqueline Osborne. And I'm Erica Brooks. This podcast is a platform for men and women to share their challenges and lessons they face throughout their journey toward achieving greater life balance through the four pillars of health and, of course, prioritizing the number one asset, you. Amazing. Let's get started. Well, Bethany, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy to have you. For our listeners, Bethany has her own podcast, and it's actually one of my favorites. I referred to it during my blog about Get Lost in a Podcast, so I am so happy to have her here with us. Bethany, to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me. My name is Bethany Baines. I am a middle-aged mom. I'm based in New York City, Um, We also spend a lot of time in South Jersey by the shore. My true passion, in addition to my family and my day job, is the work that I do for breadwinning women. So it's really creating awareness, building community, and providing resources for women who are the sole or primary earners of their households. And that is regardless of the makeup of that household. And it's been a silent community to date. Many of the narratives around this role tend to be negative or just not really have a positive or an encouraging spin to them, even though we're almost half of the population. And in terms of financially leading our household, I think it's much more important to put a positive and supportive spin on that role. You mentioned the breadwinning women's group. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What is it? Where did it originate from? First of all, I love that you got a little tongue-tied on that because that happens so often, I cannot tell you. The reason I don't get tongue-tied on it as much is because I speak about it so often. That's a really important point, right? Like when we talk about this being silent or a silent community and we talk about the shame or the stigma that comes with this role, the more that we normalize it and the more we speak about it, the more we have language to engage our communities and our families and even our kids in this conversation, the more it will become something that we don't trip over. So back to what I was saying, it's a group that I started as an email alias on Google Groups, which is a publicly available product. I started it while I worked at Google. I shared it with a few of my friends who I knew were also colleagues that were also breadwinning women. And it was just a space where we could share articles or connect and know that everybody on that alias was in a similar position. And then it just really took off. When I shared earlier, you know, regardless of the makeup of that household, I realized how many different household scenarios there are where women identify as the breadwinners. You know, women were mothers or child-free, whether they were single or partnered, or they're in same or different sex relationships, divorced or widows or caring for elderly or extended family members. We even have a few grandmothers in the group. There's such a myriad of women who identify as having different scenarios in their household. In terms of the societal expectations, in terms of of workplace challenges, we all face very similar things. And that's the thread that pulls us all together. So this community grew over, you know, two to three years into over 2,500 women globally. Are most of the 3,000 winners, are they sole income families as well? Or are they dual income or? 
both. <laughs> I kid you not. When I first started out earning my husband, when he was in the corporate world, it was not by much. But it was a significant shift in our relationship because we were at such a stage of our careers that, you know, he was in higher education publishing. And as a career that just tapped out and capped out much sooner than a career in technology. And, and tech at the time was on this rocket ship as it still is today. So it was like, oh, we're heading towards something that we didn't anticipate. So as we were talking about before, scenarios change, right? You might not be the primary breadwinner and then all of a sudden you're separated and now you are the primary breadwinner or your partner may take a different path or a different you know, career choice or maybe they lose their job. All of these things can happen and do happen and they change the dynamics. Yeah, there's lots of things that well, we were talking beforehand, right? And and I said very candidly, these conversations are always interesting for me because I'm not right now the breadwormer. I mean, I'm using air quotes, right? Because situations have changed. There have been scenarios where I'm making more in a year than, you know, my husband has and, and vice versa. And right now where we are, we're steadfastly in a situation where I'm not the breadwinner. And that's, you know, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. He's totally fine with that. And we're just kind of doing what makes us honestly, what makes us happy and brings us the joy that we want to have in our jobs. Right. Which is very important. So the important part of what we do is not just the financial benefit of it. And I think that that sort of recognition of, you know, going back and forth between breadwinner and not breadwinner, maybe it's not necessarily like a binary yes, no, right? Like I am in many scenarios, a breadwinner, just not necessarily comparative to my husband's income. So there's maybe this sort of, do you have people that are in there that are talking about this family setup and the dynamic of husband and wife, and maybe I'm not making as much as he is, but I'm still contributing in a situation that allows us to live the lives that we live? We definitely have women who are single, who anticipate based on the partner that they are with, that they will become the breadwinner in this relationship. And that is so incredible to me because had I had a community or a conversation 10 years ago about this topic, I just imagine that like the strain or the curiosity or the hesitancy or the insecurity that I could have avoided. And to me, it's so amazing. For example, a topic on sharing household logistics, which I'm sure could be an episode in and of itself. It's amazing people doing tremendous work in this space. One near and dear to my heart for your listeners, if they haven't read her book, and now she has a second book out, uh, is Eve Rodsky, who wrote a book called Fair Play, uh, and also a book called Unicorn Space. Yes, we spoke to Eve. When you have those types of conversations, either early on in your partnership or God bless you if you have it before you have children, you're in such a different space to enter into those dynamics and navigate where the balance feels off. Because what it actually does is drive you to identify your values. And I'm not talking monetary value. I'm talking about what is important to us as a family. For us, when my husband got laid off, it was very important. You know, we had two young kids. I'd just come back from my second maternity leave. It was very important to us that we didn't want to outsource everything in our lives. And had he gotten another job, you know, he worked from home well before it was a thing to work from home. At the time he was working from home, he was such an involved and present parent and such an obviously competent and capable and present partner. So to give all of that up for him to go back to an office was a huge cost, and it didn't align with our values. So that's how we actually came to this, is having that conversation. 
but you don't really talk about your values in terms of outsourcing or hiring, you know, child care or house cleaners, etc. Those are the conversations in life that just kind of happen. So I do think we need to be much more intentional about those building blocks within our homes, within our relationships. And the earlier you have those conversations, I think the better set up you are for those times when it bounces off the guardrails. So you mentioned Eve, and, and as Erica said, we, we had Eve on the show, and I'm a huge believer, supporter, fan of, of the book and the system. If I understand correctly, your husband stays at home. How do you guys balance the invisible work in your family? Yeah, so my husband retired, I guess it's eight years ago now, when he decided not to go back into the corporate workforce. There were definitely moments where I felt like I was doing more, and he felt like he was doing more. And you have these come to Jesus moments where he's like, that's great, but that's your perspective because I don't feel the need to give you what he calls, you know, the checklist, the scoreboard. And, you know, there's a ton of validation where I'm like, I just paid the mortgage and I folded the laundry and I bathed the dog and I set this tuition payment up and he's just like, congrats. So it took us a while to figure out what our lanes were. And that's literally what we call them, where his lane was very much everything within the home and with the kids, whether it was a play date, whether it was food sourcing, whether it was meal planning. We were very clear on those lines. Society was not. And that's where I would get the call from school that my kid was sick. I would make the decision of, okay, well, we'll be down to get him in a few minutes, knowing that I was in meetings in Manhattan and he was a mile from school in Brooklyn. With that little phone call, one, I get the interruption at work. Two, I made the decision that was actually his to make. And three, I've now kicked in a high gear mom guilt that my baby's sick, but I have to go talk about ad tech. Then he shows up to school and he's like, he's not sick. He has a chemistry exam today that he didn't study for. I'm not going to go down there to get him. So it's all of these added pieces, this one little scenario that's so rooted in gender norms and more of a patriarchal setup, frankly. In fact, RBG talks about this, where people are much more willing and inclined to interrupt a woman's workday than they are to interrupt a man's workday. As we navigated through the scenarios was how we figured out, you know, how we were going to handle them when they came up again. You know, I never planned for this. The school calls several times a day and it gets to the point where I stopped giving my phone number so they would call my husband. And I list him first as the primary parent. And those types of things where you really have to over-communicate to those around you of how your family operates. And your knee-jerk reaction may not be how uh, we want to be met. So a lot of it has been trial and error, and a lot of them uh, have just been value conversations. I'll give you another example. I hate cleaning. We all know that we have to, and we all know that when you clean, the entire house is filthy the next day. So we used to argue a lot about having someone in the house and mostly because, you know, he was working from home and didn't want somebody to interrupt his day, but, you know, also felt guilty, like maybe I should be doing this. I don't feel guilty for people who uh, can come in and help me out. This is what people do. And so I would love to have someone do it for me so I don't have to do it. And that was a big tension for us because obviously, like I said, this is something that comes up every day. And then we found a way through. Or as long as it gets done and, you know, you figure out how to deal with the discomfort of somebody in your space or feeling guilty about something that you feel like you should be doing, you're good with it. But that's what we do. You figure this out. You schedule it when it works for everybody and then everybody's happy. But we had to figure all those pieces out. And it sounds so minor, but these are huge issues in a partnership. 
So we're talking about gender norms in the home and some of the you know things that come with having kids and being a woman. What about at work? Like what about among like your colleagues on a more, you know, interpersonal one-on-one? Is is this instilled in the culture as well? Or are you finding that you're still having to educate some folks on you know, the new norm of families and how breadwinners are not just the men and the fact that we have to say breadwinning women's group? You know, it's just like the girl boss thing, like I'm just a boss. There was a time when my husband and I decided to, you know, embark on this path that I had shared an office with four guys who all had uh, stay-at-home partners, or I think three of them did. And that was kind of what gave me the idea. I'm like, hey, these guys are successful. They jump on the plane for any meeting that they need to attend. They have no problem raising their hand for complex assignments because somebody's taking care of everything else, right? And that was really my aha, where I was like, oh, right, that's how all this works. And as you look, there's a lot of statistics about how many C-level male executives and stay-at-home partners. And that's really what makes the world go round. There was a lot of moments at the beginning when I shared how our family was either embarking on this journey or on this journey, and it was met with a lot of double standards. And I'm guilty of this too. I would ask a male colleague, does your wife work? Whereas I would ask a female colleague, what does your partner do? And me, I live and breathe this stuff now, but I was still figuring that piece out. So there's those moments where it does become a really enriching conversation one-on-one where you can share, actually. And they're like, how does that work? And you kind of get to the other side of, you know, wait, I don't get it. Sometimes it's funny because it's so basic. And I'm like, let's just pretend that I have a penis and he has a vagina. And that's how it works. It's like something you really have to go (laughs) through that. But other times, it's like this double standard of, man, he's won the lottery. I wish I could do that. That's awesome. Which, A, diminishes all the work that he's doing. But also, you would never say that about a woman who's a primary caregiver, right? There's a completely different context of, you know, she needs a break, or she's overwhelmed, or our nation's hero. Uh, What a sacrifice she's made for her career. That's not how it's perceived for men. But then there's the very well-documented struggles of women in the corporate workforce in terms of glass ceilings or how it was described to me previously, which was a concrete ceiling. And I was like, well, God, how do we get through that one? Glass, at least we could try to break, but concrete, oh my God. And I think that's something that every company for the most part, certainly within tech, is very vocal about trying to challenge and improve the representation and their opportunities for underrepresented groups. So long road ahead, I'm, I'm part of it. Now I feel like, this conversation in terms of the nuances are actually happening less and less to me personally because I'm so vocal about the space. But I learn every day what happens within the community, you know, based on this. So for example, there was an email thread about why the concept of you look so young is actually not a compliment in the workplace. It's devaluing your experience. It's setting an assumption that maybe you're not a decision maker, all of these things. And so it leads to this conversation about how women work great, but not too good, speak smart, but not too standoffish, you know, all these different ways that we have to find a perfect balance that really takes up a lot of, I mean, I mean, talk about invisible labor. That's a lot of what working women face. I mean, I could go on and on about every single one of those points you just mentioned, because I've felt them, I've lived them, I've breathed them. But one story I'll share 
it was actually, and it's ironic because my hair is long now, only because it's been a year since I've had a haircut and a hair dye. But in all seriousness, I used to keep my hair short because it made me look older. And the reason for that is I was once in a room and the individual came in and said, so when will your boss be here? And I turned around and said, you are looking at the boss. And he kind of took back and it clearly, it changed the entire tone of the meeting. And I did so on that balance between being standing up for myself, but trying not to demean the, the comment, but it was so hard and it was so personally, you know, impactful that I never let that go. You know, I always continued to have the sense of being the youngest female in the room. And I just turned 40 this year and I'm like, yes, maybe now I won't be the young female in the room. Right. That gets into a whole host of other things. But that, first of all, I love that you did that because one, I guarantee as many times as you thought about that, hopefully he's thought about them more, Right. So hopefully he's had that moment as well as every other person in that room. Those are really the meaningful moments where it's not harmful. You didn't come in saying, I'm going to be a total jerk and completely undercut this woman. It's just what happened. And if we don't talk about it and we don't get comfortable in the sticky conversations, we will literally never make progress. So everyone's just got to suit up and get ready to get uncomfortable. And that's where I think even this notion of what you shared earlier, Erica, with girl boss or breadwinning women, when will we get to the point that we don't have to note these things? Hopefully soon, but we're not there yet. We're not there. They are, and there's some role models in the space that are wonderful, but they're so elevated, right? That you're just like, I mean, awesome. I don't know that my life is going to go in that direction. It's just so exceptionally successful that when you're coming into an office, I mean, Let's erase the past months, but back to the world as it was. When you come into an office every day and you're dodging those phone calls from the school and you're racing to get to a track meet on time and you're trying to get that proposal in at work or close that deal and you're balancing all of those things. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my own experience and some of the stories you've told. Like, I have to wear different hats. Like, there's times where, you know, my husband does have a C in front of his title. And so I have to go and hang out with the wives. And it's very much like, oh, you work? You still work? Like, goodness, where's my pearls? Holy cow, like, what is that? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, well, what do you do? And don't you have children? Who cares for the children while you have the luxury of working? And I'm like, oh, man, what happens when someone gets sick? Oh, my. It's an interesting thing to kind of think about and to work through. And it is these conversations. It is having these conversations, talking about the challenges we're having and enjoying the opportunity to build relationships with women that are leading these discussions that has been so amazing for both both of us. I'm speaking for you, Jacqueline, sorry. Both of us through this journey because it's just, it's good to know we're not alone. Like it can be very lonely to think about these challenges and to feel that hesitancy and to feel that I'm doing something wrong, guilt strike you when you're making decisions that are, you know, as you were saying early, in, in line with the values for your family. You know, we make decisions as a couple that reflect our individual and collective ambitions and goals and the things that bring us joy. And it, it's really good to hear, you know, that you are having these conversations. You're unsticking all of those things because they're sticky. And when you're making a decision to work and not to work and you're looking around for role models, they're hard to find. It is really helpful if you can see someone one or two rungs up doing the same goddamn thing. 
And you're just like, okay, cool. So you went through that field with a machete. Now I just have to come through with a Swiss army knife. Okay, great. Thank you. If you don't have someone there, then you have to wield the machete in every single space. And that is what it becomes when I talk about the tax. And I know being in my mid forties, being an executive at a giant company, that that's my lot. My lot is to be the machete wielder. And I take that with such seriousness and pride. Uh, but if I can make sure that at least a handful of women behind me only have to use a Swiss army knife, I'm okay with that. I'm actually so comfortable in my role. And if I can look at the woman who, you know, was me 10 or 12 years ago and just say, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it work. And it's going to be in a way that you can't even envision or anticipate right now, but I promise you're going to be okay. Or you're not going to be okay. And that's when you change and you reassess your values. But just somebody to have in that space and see that path is so incredibly valuable. I remember someone once said, you never ask a man, how do you do it? And it's funny because one of the questions I think we intended to ask you was, you know, okay, you're a mom, you're an executive, you run the group, you have your podcast, how do you do it all? The irony is the same conversation they said, it can be done, right? We need to start showing that next generation that you can have it all or do it all. And it's just around the balances. I'm curious, what's your thought on that either the conversation of asking or the can you do it or how do you do it all? Let's caveat that it's obnoxious that men don't get asked that question because we can all agree to it that there's this assumption that we have to do all the other stuff. Truthfully, how I do all that other stuff is I have an incredible partner. He's not perfect and neither am I. And that's actually the wedding advice that my grandmother gave us to remember nobody's perfect and neither are you. So you can just put that in this bucket over here. And I keep going back to the Kate McKinnon SNL skit. Uh, we notice, we notice, right? Like that happens on this side in terms of, let's be honest, there's only 24 hours in a day. How do I do these multiple things that I personally invest my time in? Uh, we were laughing when we started this. I was 10 minutes late. I was sweaty because I squeezed in a workout when I was like, I've got 45 minutes to work out and I have to be on this call in 47 minutes. I think I can do it. That's probably something I should unwind with a therapist at some point, we need to try and not optimize every single moment of our life. But I knew that was important to me because I actually don't have any more breaks to get it done. So I know that is my anchored value to get my stress out, to feel good about myself, to sweat out whatever I ate and drank last night. And so I find these things that are valuable to me. However, I will say there are times when the podcast or the family take more of my time than others. There are times when my job takes more of my time than others. I will say the, the skew is probably off balance every single day. But when you zoom out and look at it, everything's gotten what it needs when it needs it. I think the real trick is doing that without the guilt, without that feeling that you're letting somebody down. Because if you asked anybody in my life at any given moment if I've let them down in the past month, sure. Has my friend been disappointed that I didn't return a phone call? Is my husband disappointed that we didn't get any alone time or have an uninterrupted conversation? Uh, is my mother-in-law disappointed because I didn't go to get my nails done? Is my mom disappointed because I didn't call or go visit? Yes. But if you zoom out over the past six months, does everybody love and support me and feel that we spend quality time together and know that I love them? Yes. So I think when we put so much pressure on ourselves to be everything all the time, every day, that's impossible. That's not going to make anybody feel good and it's going to lead to burnout. So 
I think really having that sense of what is so important to you and when you can fill those buckets and when the other buckets just need to wait a minute. I also have older children. I will say they're old enough that I'm not buckling seatbelts or wiping asses anymore. Even actually yesterday, I was in a super grumpy mood and my husband was like, do you want to go for a run? And I'm like, I want to go for a walk by myself. And I was like, I'm sure that was hurtful or seemed very out of character for me because I don't usually just go for a walk. And I was like, I just know that this is what I need right now. You know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to help myself. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. I know I could go all day long and we could talk about this till the the sun sets, but unfortunately we do need to come to an end. So I'm going to end with our last and final question that we ask everybody on the show. If you could recommend one book or one piece of advice to our listeners, what would it be? One book, and I don't mean it to sound cliche, but Glennon Doyle's book, when I read it, it so spoke to so many aspects of me as a woman. And I, I actually want to reread it now a few months later because I know it's going to speak to so many other different aspects that didn't get in on the first round. But I think it's such an important message for really finding our own souls. And we've talked so much today about value and finding out what your values are uh, will guide every decision that you make. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for squeezing us into that very busy schedule. We really appreciate it. Before we go, we never actually mentioned the name of your podcast. Why don't you let our listeners know how they could find you and listen? Yes, thank you. The podcast is called Working Wife, Happy Life. And that name is very intentional because when I started on this journey of advocating and identifying really as a breadwinning woman, everything I read had this really negative connotation to the role, citing things like increased infidelity, increased depression, increased risk of divorce, anxiety, you know, all these really negative connotations and really a negative narrative. And I wanted to buck that. So my whole mission is to create much more positive spin and more understanding around this role, which is, again, why it's titled Working Wife, Happy Life. You can find these episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I have 42 episodes that have been published spanning from February of 2020 until, you know, toward the end of 2021. I am taking a little break as I've taken on a new professional step in my career and left the company that I was with for almost 18 years. So definitely drinking from the fire hose with my new responsibilities. Uh, and hopefully we'll get back to recording soon. But there's plenty of episodes to dig into. Well, amazing. Well, thank you again, Bethany. This has been so much fun and uh, fantastic to, you know, find someone that is walking the same path and juggling all of the things we get to juggle together. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoy participating in the conversation. Now your homework is to be sure to like, subscribe, and let us know what you thought about today's discussion. And of course, find us online, 52weeksofme.net, with the number 5 and the number 2, and at Instagram at 52weeksofme, spelled out. Again, we love emails, so email us at 52weeksofme, spelled out, at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you all soon. Bye! Bye.